Good morning. This morning's scripture is from Acts, Acts 4, 1 to 31. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the highest priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all, were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal 
and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's true word. So Peter and John, the apostles Peter and John, uh, we learned this last week, uh, had healed a man who had been crippled and lame from birth. Uh, We find out now that they're arrested. They're arrested by the Sanhedrin uh, and uh, put in prison and then basically taken to court before the Sanhedrin for healing a lame man in the name of Jesus. Uh, They were imprisoned and threatened for doing a good thing. What we've been seeing in the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit of God gives birth to the church, what we're seeing in the early church, in in the early Christians, is that God's Spirit began to bless them, right? They were growing numerically by the thousands. They were also growing spiritually. They were growing in maturity. Uh, They were developing a a great reputation in, in the vicinity of Jerusalem. We, we, we notice that God is performing through the apostles miraculous things, signs and wonders, amazing things that people had, had never seen. We also notice that the early Christians were unified, weren't they? Different cultures, different backgrounds, but they were unified. What you now begin to see in the book of Acts, it's a theme that you're going to see through the rest of the story. Luke begins to record Evidences of persecution. Good things are happening. Amazing growth. Amazing signs. And the beauty, the beauty of unity in their community. But now they are being persecuted. For doing good. And for speaking in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now this theme is going to increase. You're going to see it more and more throughout the rest of the book of Acts. What I think is noteworthy... As Luke tells us this account, what's noteworthy is that the early Christians, when they were threatened, and clearly Peter and John are threatened here, when the early Christians were threatened, they didn't resort to verbal attacks or violence. Do you notice that? Now, in last week's election, as a result of our presidential election, uh, some of the things you saw on the news were verbal attacks and violence in the streets, right? You, you've, if, you've been on face, if you've been on social media at all, you've seen verbal attacks back and forth, right? If you've been watching the news, you've seen violence in the streets in many different locations. And these things are happening as people feel that their way of life, that their identity okay, is threatened or misunderstood or misrepresented. But the apostles and the early believers, when their way of life was threatened, when their bodies and reputations were threatened, didn't retaliate with verbal attacks or with violence. Why is that? I had to ask myself that question as I looked at this passage and prepared to bring it to you. Why did the early church not resort to verbal attack or to violence? For the Christian, for the Christian, persecution is not an obstacle, it's a catalyst. I think the answer is there. 
Okay. For the early church, they saw that the persecution they were facing was actually not a step backward for them. It was a way forward. They saw persecution differently than the world sees persecution. Not an obstacle, but a catalyst. Let's talk about it. Peter and John were persecuted because they had aligned themselves with Jesus. They're arrested by the temple guard. They're brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is basically the, uh, the Jewish Supreme Court and Senate rolled into one. Now, the Romans are in charge. It's the first century. But the Sanhedrin, uh, composed of the chief priestly family and uh, the scribes, uh, some were Sadducees, some were Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, uh, they, Rome was in charge, but the Romans gave the Sanhedrin uh, the freedom to legislate uh, internal affairs for the Jews in that area. Okay. So, Peter and John are arrested. And they're, brought, they're imprisoned overnight, and then they're brought before the Sanhedrin, which served as a court. Now, the reason they were arrested and the reason they were brought before the court is twofold. There's really two reasons. First of all, the Sadducees were a religious party, not a political party. They were a religious party, uh, and they dominated at least half of the Sanhedrin. And the Sadducees theologically denied the resurrection of the dead. The The Sadducees did not believe in a bodily resurrection from the dead. So the apostles are preaching the resurrection of the risen Jesus of Nazareth, and that would have been a threat to the Sadducees. Furthermore, the, Sanhed- the members of the Sanhedrin worked very hard to play nice with the Roman authorities, because if they could cooperate with the Roman authorities and not make a mess, the Romans would allow them to have their way and still have authority and influence over the Jews. So any talk of a Messiah, of a risen, living Jesus of Nazareth that was Lord, which is what the apostles have been saying since the second chapter of Acts, any talk like that um, would upset the Romans, wouldn't it? Caesar is Lord, right? And and so the Sanhedrin, the members of the Sanhedrin, uh, are committed to keeping their place and to maintaining their doctrine. So they hear these uneducated, not that they were illiterate, just they didn't go to seminary, Peter and John, okay? Uh, So they hear these uneducated men, and they knew they had been with Jesus, and they're talking about a risen Jesus, and they're talking about resurrection from the dead, and they, they reveal to thousands of people a crippled man walking and leaping around in the temple courts, and the Sanhedrin brings them in. So when you associate, and this this is still true today, when you associate with Jesus, people will notice. If you associate with Jesus, sooner or later, people in the world will notice that you associate yourself with him. And not everybody's going to like it. It was obvious that the crippled man had been healed, so there wasn't much that they could do uh, because you have thousands of people now praising God and amazed at what they were seeing. So uh, this time, all the Sanhedrin does is 
they verbally threaten the apostles. They'll get a chance to beat them later on in the story. But for now, uh, what are they going to do? The man's walking around healed. So for fear of the people, uh, they release them. But it says twice in the passage that they threatened them. And they said, don't talk about Jesus anymore. We don't want you to use that name. Don't bring it up. Don't do anything in the name of Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus. Nothing. They threaten them and they send them on their way. And, uh, you know, that's, in one way or another, that's, that's how it is for you if you're a Christian. If, if you're a Christian, maybe a friend or a relative will disassociate themselves from you. Because at some point, your Christianity um, rubs up against uh, what is important to them and threatens them. Maybe it's a coworker, and uh, the coworker begins to gossip about you. Because your Christianity has threatened your coworker. If this happens, uh, if, if your Christianity uh, threatens a government official, what you get as a result of that is oppression. And we've seen that throughout history. So persecution now becomes a central theme in Luke's story of the early church in the book of Acts. But Notice how the early Christians, led by the apostles, responded to their persecution. Peter and John, we see, respond with faith. It doesn't say Peter and John responded with faith. uh, But I want you to see that it's actually here. We see evidence of it. Look at verses 19 through 20. They said, don't speak in the name of Jesus, cut it out. Right? We have spears and we have authority and we'll bring you right back in here again. So stop using the name of Jesus. And Peter and John say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, they're not being combatant. They're, they're, not, they're not being disrespectful. This is... If there ever was an example of this, this is conscientious objection. This is civil disobedience. To show respect and honor to an authority, but say, we can't do what you're asking us to do. We just can't do it. The reason they couldn't do it is because Jesus had given them a mission. And he had told them, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, and in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they had a mission, and Jesus had given them that mission. They just said respectfully, look, we we can't honor that. We can't do that. And they, Peter and John in this moment, this is really important that, that you see this here. Peter and John are setting a precedent for the early church here. They are, in this moment, living examples of what they would later write in their epistles, decades later. Now, we, we, I, I am so glad that we covered 1 Peter last spring and we covered uh, the early Psalms over the summer because those books talk all about persecution and how to respond to persecution in faith and how to respond to civil and social tension as Christians. And here we go. Let's, let's, we're ready for it now, aren't we? Um, so later on, decades later, Peter would teach what you see him here um, exemplifying. 
He would say to Christians much later on in 1 Peter chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Now, remember, they're living in a pagan society, right? And um, the emperors could be pretty difficult. Um, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, when the authorities that God commands us to honor are asking us to do things that would directly disobey the word of God and the mission of Jesus. Well, what does Peter say about that? Well, he went on to say in that letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, right? Peter's assuming you're going to be asked to do things and to comply in ways that you can't because you'll be going against my will. And in those instances, Peter said, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This is exemplary. This is exemplary behavior. This is exemplary teaching. Where does this come from? This is countercultural. You see people behaving this way? This is countercultural. All of our advancements in 2,000 years, you see people behaving this way? This is countercultural. Where does it come from? Where would such teaching come from? Where, Where would this behavior, while being threatened... To not retaliate physically or verbally, but to say, listen, we just can't listen to you. You're just going to have to judge uh, us, but we're not going to listen to you. Where does this come from? It's in the passage. It comes, their behavior comes from something in the passage. When they were released, they went back to the believers and they told them what was happening. And then what does it say? The believers began to pray. And, they, and, and in their prayers, they remembered Psalm 2, which says the world rages, right? That the nations are against God and his holy one, his anointed one. And then they show the proof of it. They say in verses 27 and 28, they're praying and they say to the Lord, truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. There it is. You see what they're saying while they're praying to God? You see what they believe? They believe that Jesus was persecuted and executed, not simply because people thought he was threatening, that the power structures wanted him gone. It says that the persecution of Jesus Christ was done by the hand and the plan of God. 
Persecution itself is part of God's plan. They could see that. Because they saw it in their Lord Jesus. And they assumed that what was happening to them as disruptive and threatening as it appeared was somehow a part of God's sovereignly crafted plan. You may have heard of Nate Saint. Um, In the late 1950s, Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and three other friends as as a group of Christians went into... um, went into Ecuador, into the jungles of Ecuador, to reach an unreached people group of natives who were only violent uh, and, and, and attacked and murdered anybody who tried to come into their territory and engage with them. But they went in. Uh, they believed God had called them to this people. And every single one of them died. Uh, the tribe murdered, uh, quite, quite brutally, murdered all five men. You can read all about it in Through Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot. Many decades later, uh, Nate Saint's son, Stephen Saint, he wrote these words, and I'm putting them up here for you. Uh, Actually, he said something very controversial, even for Christians. Uh, Nate Saint said, uh, Stephen Saint said something very controversial about his father's death. He said, I don't think God merely tolerated my dad's death. I don't think he turned away when it was happening. I think he planned it. He went on to say, and and he quotes the book of Acts, and he talks about how the early apostles remembered that it was the hand of God that brought about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He said, if God could plan the death of his own righteous son, why couldn't he plan the death of my dad? And the death of his father and those five men eventually brought about the salvation of that village. It's a remarkable story. An entire group of people came to Christ and actually became best friends with these families who lost their husbands and fathers to this tribe. The early Christians believed that God was up to something good In their persecutions. And it's because they had seen the good that God was up to in Jesus' persecutions. John Stott said that the Sadducees could arrest the apostles, but they couldn't arrest the gospel. And that's the point. And John and Peter and their friends knew it. And that's why they endured, although they were being threatened. They valued God's sovereign plan more than society's threats. So let's let's use that as a takeaway. Let's use that as a take home. Can we revere God's plan, his hidden plan, to accomplish all things for his purpose and for his glory and for the good of his people? Can we revere God's plan more than we revere those who threaten us? Or the ideas that threaten us. Basically, can we fear God more than we fear people? Can we do that? That's a take home. home. Now, if you're a Christian, ask yourself, am I doing that? Do I value God's sovereign plan more than I value the threats that I'm hearing from people 
who disagree with me or who endanger my well-being. I'm not saying that danger isn't real. It's very real. Okay. Um, but what do, we, what do we do when we face danger? What do we do when we face threats? What, will we do, what do we do uh, when those uh, who uh, dislike us or disagree with us um, slander our reputation and misrepresent us? Well, here's what I think is a problem. Um, a ger- uh, an Austrian woman named Michi, when, when Becky and I were, were over in Austria last month, uh, a young woman named Michi who was teaching a German class, she said to me, you know what, what I discovered? She said, my pastor told me this. We wanna, Christians want to serve Christ, but we don't want to be treated like servants. This was the story. Um, she was working in the Oasis with refugees, and uh, there was an African, a young African woman, uh, a teenager, probably not even 20 years old, uh, had come from the camp. She lost her papers. She couldn't get back into the refugee camp, so she was stranded at least for a day or two. And so Christoph and Miki, uh, they have small children, a young Christian Austrian couple. Uh, they brought uh, the young Nigerian girl into their house for the night. And, 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 and so they had done that a, a few days before, and I said to Miki, how did it go? She said, you know, we brought her into our home and we tried to feed her and she just complained about every piece of food we put in front of her and said she wouldn't eat it. And she was disrespectful to us and she was ungrateful to, her, to us. And I was so frustrated and I felt so belittled uh, by this homeless refugee who I was bringing into my home. She goes, and then I remembered what my pastor once told me, that Christians want to serve Christ, but we don't want to be treated like servants. And, and, and she just reveals our hypocrisy. We don't like being disrespected. We don't like being scorned. We don't like being unappreciated. We don't like being threatened or worse especially when we're just trying to serve Christ and love people. We don't like being treated that way. And so here's what begins to happen. I think these are two defaults that, that we're tempted uh, to, uh, to commit. We either become combatant or we concede. Uh, when we're threatened, we either combat the threat and those who are threatening us or we concede to the threat. Combating means that uh, we start to participate in all the raging. We become part of the raging. We believe that we have rights and we demand our rights. And we're not going to let people treat us a certain way. So we retaliate. And the raging gets louder and more widespread because now we become a part of it. Because we're afraid of what we're going to lose and, and so we fight for it. Um, on the other side, conceding is when we succumb to the ruling mindset that threatens us. We're afraid of what we're going to lose. And so we try and keep the peace by compromising our beliefs, by compromising our principles. We're afraid of not being liked and not being admired and being cast out. And so we give in. Right. Uh, and based on our personality and the situation, we kind of we may tend towards one or the other. Some of us are more combatant when we feel threatened, especially if you're Sicilian like me. And and some people are are, are more submissive um, 
they're more, um, what's the word, passive-aggressive. And so they may just concede, they may just give in when they're threatened. But both habits reveal a lack of faith, friends. Both habits reveal a fear underneath an inability to trust God in the circumstance. And only, there's only one relief from this fear. And, and it has to do with recognizing God's sovereignty and God's protection in the persecution. While you're being threatened to recognize and remember and, and, and take a stand on God's sovereignty and protection. God is sovereign in our persecution. Now, maybe we're not being, maybe you as a Christian are not being imprisoned like John or Peter, but, but maybe as a Christian, you've been insulted by somebody. You've been belittled or misrepresented or embarrassed. So let's speak to that in the least. God is sovereign in persecution. Here's an example. Uh, just last night, I was at a wedding. Is that uh, Graham and Carrie? Now it's Graham and Carrie Carrie, by the way. And um, while, while I was there, he's in Sunday school right now, but Jonathan Snack just turned to me and he said, you know, did you ever think that so quickly in the life of our church, God would be doing these things? God would be bringing young people in to hear the word of God and to be discipled. And, 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 and we've had two weddings in our church, two very young people from the McDaniel crowd, uh, two couples getting married in the last few months. And, and he said, did, did you imagine that, that God would be working in these ways so quickly? And that got me to thinking. The, the reason... The reason that uh, we have been blessed to see, uh, not so much, I mean, I, I, uh, people come and go on a weekly basis, I get it. So you may be looking around and going, what is he talking about? Trust me. Uh, for our size as a new church, we minister to a lot of young people and a lot of college students. The reason that's the case is because about two years ago, Carrie Hasselbeck, she's now Carrie Carrie, but Carrie Hasselbeck and I sat down over coffee. And we discovered that our visions, uh, our, our, our plans for gospel growth were, were very much in sync with one another. And we're encouraged by that. And, 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 and Carrie started attending our worship services when we were meeting in a classroom before we went public. And, and she brought her roommate, Taylor, along, who's now serving in ministry. And, she be, and then she began bringing college students from McDaniel along to our worship services. All because Carrie and I met for coffee and discovered that there was some common ground between those two, these two ministries. And the reason we got together for coffee is because Carrie saw an email from me. I had sent an email to several leaders in the Westminster area asking them to, to get together to pray on Main Street for racial reconciliation and healing in our nation and, and in Westminster and Carroll County. And that's because uh, Pastor Philip, Philip Daniels of Agape Ministries and I had gotten together and decided we should pray and we should ask our community, the community of Christians here to pray for healing and reconciliation. And the reason Philip and I had that conversation is because two years ago in June, um, a group of Christians were murdered in their church because of the color of their skin. 
So you can trace the blessings and the benefits of how this church is able to minister to young adults. You can trace it all the way back to a terrible tragedy where Christians were persecuted. That is how the sovereignty of God works, even in persecution. The families of those people who were murdered two years ago have no idea how their suffering has brought about the glory of God and the blessing of people that they have never met and will never even hear about. And the apostles saw that in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul would later say, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is sovereign in persecution. He is not only sovereign, but he is strong. He is able to protect his people. I would like to believe that Jesus, uh, that Peter and John and their friends remembered what their Lord had told them once. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Now, if you're not a Christian, I, I can't promise you this protection. If you're a Christian, you know it belongs to you. You're in Jesus' hand and he'll, he'll never let go of you, no matter what you face. If you're not a Christian, I can't promise that to you, friend. I, 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 I can promise you that, the, that you will continue to see and experience what is going on right now in the world. I can promise you that. I can promise you that the raging will never end. That threats to your security and your identity, that misrepresentations of who you are and what you think and what you believe and what your needs are will always continue in this world. But Jesus' persecution brought immeasurable good. Now you have the courage and faith to face persecution. And become like Jesus. So that as his persecution brought eternal life for many. Your persecution in his name can bring hope as well. Trust in him that he will bring more good to the world. Through your suffering. And, and, I, and I believe that is how the early church thrived in a hostile environment. Because they never forgot that God had a hand in their persecutions and that Jesus was protecting them in the midst of it all. For the Christian, or if you're willing for the first time to trust Jesus more than you trust in everything that you're afraid you might lose. Persecution isn't an obstacle, it's a catalyst. It's not a step backward, it's a way forward if you're willing to trust him in faith. I pray that we'll do that as a community of faith. Let's pray. Father, I think that, that hymn that Martin Luther wrote, 
the body they may kill, God's word abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Uh, help us to rest in that type of faith, Lord, that, uh, that we would be willing to go without, that we would be willing to be misunderstood or misrepresented uh, because you are at work even in our persecution and you have vowed by your son's magnificent shepherding hand to protect us and to never let us go. Father, I pray right now, uh, whatever anybody's facing uh, in, in, in this church, in this room right now, fear, anxiety, anger, frustration, uh, discouragement, hopelessness, whatever it is, I ask that the Lord Jesus would give each soul in this room exactly what he needs, exactly what she needs to trust you now and help us to trust you together. In our Savior's name, Jesus Christ, the only name and the only mediator between God and man. Amen.